Hi, welcome to the podcast where we do it for the love of it. My name is Kevin. And I'm Charles, and this is a sports podcast where we look for the best stories and events from across the global competitive landscape. Okay, so we're going to start it off today with eSports, uh, starting off with Fortnite. Uh, so Fortnite is in week 7 of the Summer Skirmish, and they decided this week the, the setup was going to be something they called Big Bonus. This was a duos tournament where you got uh, 1 point per elimination and then 5 points for Victory Royale and if you're able to get 8 eliminations in any one round you got an extra 5 points for that. Okay, okay. So, who was our winners this time? So, just like last week where they split the each day into two separate groups rather than making people go through 5 go through 10 events all in one day really wears it down. So, we had four separate groups over the weekend. The first one was won by Lefrebreiter and Skite. Okay. Followed up that afternoon by Phase Thieves and Liquid Chap. Earlier this morning, Solari Kinstar and Lunary JBZ (laughs) (laughs) took the group. And then finally, Grenadier Jake and Not Vivid won the most recent group. Okay, okay. So... Now, where does that land us kind of with... We have one week left, isn't it? It was an eight-week yeah, tournament. Yeah, one week in the $8 million eight-week tournament. We'll see. I have to see see if they have something big, something special to uh, to show us. They've been very coy with the information of what's coming next, the entire process. Yeah, okay. So hopefully we see something kind of super cool to end this all off and kind of really puts that cherry on the top of this kind of rich cake we've been given. Kind of all these different layers, all these cool kind of modes that they've tried dropping off, and hopefully this kind of settles them in for their eSports tournaments moving forward. Yeah, we we do have to point out that this is not like their world championship or anything like this. This was the ultimate test event to see what works, what doesn't, how they can move forward so that Fortnite can become a big player on the eSports scene. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, hopefully we see uh, that big show that we all want to see at the end here. But it was exciting to see, and we'll be waiting kind of just kind of on the edge of our seats waiting for that big show on that last week. Yeah, they've definitely uh, done well to increase the tension and drama every week. You're looking forward to something you don't even know what you're looking forward to. Exactly. Okay, what are we moving on to now? Let's move on to the League of Legends. Okay, okay. So we, uh, as we mentioned last week, the regular season wrapped up, and this was the first week of the 16 playoffs. Yes. Uh, The quarterfinals match, we saw TSM defeat Echo Fox, and 100 Thieves defeat FlyQuest. And they are moving on to face uh, the way. So the way this works is the number one team gets to choose who they face off of the two winners of the quarterfinals, and the number two team just has to get whoever whoever's left, left over. over. Okay, yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a, it's an idea that I've heard floated around in other sports. I really like it. I think it just it adds extra drama. And sports, after all, is an entertainment product. I think we should include this as many places as possible. So what we had was Team Liquid decided they're going to face off against 100 Thieves. 
And Which is one v two? Am I not wrong? No, Cloud Nine is two. Well, Cloud Nine is now two. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, I yeah, mean, so you'll have uh, uh, TSM, which came in three, is placing Cloud Nine, and oh, sorry, I have that incorrect. But it is one versus two, as I said. The Hundred Thieves was three, and TSM is five. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. When this started, yeah. Okay, so I mean, gaming was the team that got left out of the left yes, out of the playoff race. Yes, of course. Okay, so I mean, Liquid being number one, playing a hundred thieves is kind of a big game, like any way you look at it. Like hundred thieves. Yeah, it was kind of surprising. Like you, you tend to think that you pick the lower seed. Yeah, you think you would have took the fifth team and walked away with that and been happy, but I mean that is uh, interesting move and. Hopefully it is just as exciting as we expect it to be. Yeah, when you look at 100 Thieves, they're led by Chan Ho Kim, or S. Someday. He was uh, by far the most valuable player in this uh, summer split regular season. So they're not as deep as some of the other teams, but there's no doubt who the best guy in the world is, and that he's on 100 Thieves, so it is risky to for Team Liquid to face off against him. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, hopefully... Both of these games are classics by way of the choice they made, and then follow that up into a pretty wild championship. Yeah, it should be should be great fun. That takes place on September first for the for the championship third place and final championship taking place September 9th. Okay, okay, sweet, perfect. Uh, we're gonna switch sports right away here. We only had a couple stories from there. We're gonna slide over to I guess your favorite. As everybody knows, you're the cycling encyclopedia. <laughs> We're moving over Absolutely. to Absolutely, can't wait. Exactly, cycling. So, uh, the Volta has started this week. The Volta is, obviously, when you're coming down from the Tour de France, the event of the cycling calendar. It is a bit of a letdown. But okay. the uh, the cycling, uh, the tour, the Volta is the most climbing of the, of the Grand Tours. Okay, There's a lot very of few flat roads in Spain. Gotcha. Yeah, like, I think stage six might be the only true sprinter stage this year. Wow. So how many yeah. uh, stages are there in this altogether? So there's uh, 21 stages. And only one true sprinting stage. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you got to have your climbing legs. Even just as an example, the stage two that just happened was designated as a flat stage and it had four categorized climbs it was up and down all day and the eventual winner has won uh grand tours before he's a superb climber okay okay and this was designated as a flat stage so it is a hilly tour absolutely okay wicked then so we're gonna get some exciting news from this one yeah so as i mentioned a couple stages have gone past rowan dennis won the first eight kilometer uh, individual time trial prologue. Just a, just a little amuse-bouche to get it started. It went basically as we expected. The top three were Rowan Dennis, Michael Kwiatkowski, and Victor Kampenarts. These are all well-known, powerful time trialists. Gotcha. Completely expected. And yeah, Rowan Dennis won by six seconds, which over only eight kilometers is quite an impressive display. Okay, okay. Wicked. So then we moved into the stage two. As I mentioned, it was designated a flat stage, but was only flat by Vuelta organizer standards. <laughs> we 
we saw a few people have a few people that you wouldn't have expected had bad races and are pretty much out of it rowan dennis as i mentioned i don't think anybody really thought of him as winning yet we've talked about him before he's on a five-year he's on the first year of a five-year plan yeah this year is not his his year but there he was expected to last more than the second stage before falling out of red 100% there. You and more surprising, Richie Port and Vincenzo Nibali also both lost large chunks of time today. And why do you think that is, especially when well, you Richie, would expect them to be? Richie Port, I think, is more explainable. He was thought of as a favorite going into this until, I believe it was three days beforehand, when he got sick. Yes, he was the one who got uh, sick. I thought he wasn't participating at all. So it was... Um, I think you might be thinking of Esteban Chavez, who got yes. mononucleosis and was not coming back. But just a couple days beforehand, uh, Richie Port also came down with a stomach virus. Okay, uh, okay. We were told, like, the official story was that uh, he's going to be fine, he's going to be ready to go. But clearly, the first time this roads go uphill at all, he loses a huge chunk of time. You got to put two to two together and think that Richie Port is still, still suffering from that stomach virus. Yes. But unfortunately, the way the way Grand Tour cycling works is one bad stage, and you're not going to win. And he's got to be looking for stage wins at this point. Sorry for the abrupt uh, edit there. I got interrupted by my dog barking at someone looking for their lost pig. That's a thing that happens all over the place. <laughs> Definitely worth the story, I guess. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, Vincenzo Nibali's. Inability to stick with the main pack today. This one, unlike the Richie Port, I don't have a good explanation for why this happened. Yeah, I mean, Vincenzo Nibali, uh, a very good competitor, so it seems very weird to me that he would have any real issue, but maybe you should explain exactly what happened. There wasn't really anything to explain. He simply faded back, realized with about uh, five, five and a half kilometers left that he was off the pack. A couple of his teammates dropped down and they chased, but clearly he just didn't have the legs because he was uh, four minutes and four seconds back by the end of the day. The only explanation I can think of is he's not that far removed from the broken back he suffered on Alpe d'Huez in the Tour de France. And he is an older rider at this point, so perhaps the estimated recovery time just wasn't enough. Yeah, well that would probably be the only thing one could imagine. Uh, very weird otherwise to suggest anything else. So, you know, age and, you know, breaking your back definitely probably could be a major factor. In <laughs> when you say it that down. way, it does sound... Does sound like a logical reason. <laughs> so, I mean, hopefully he definitely figures that out. Hopefully, you I mean, he can do something about that. You know, injuries. Four are... minutes is not insurmountable for a, for a great champion like Nibali, but I think he's probably adjusted his expectations a little bit at this point. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Okay, so uh, that doesn't... Should... Um, speaking of kind of that, we should... Just to do a bit of a preview of the, this year's Vuelta, as oh, this is the first time we've kind of talked about that's it. That's very are. true. Um, so, as I mentioned, this is the climbiest tour. Yes. 
there was the eight kilometer time trial to begin, which was pretty indecisive among the GC contenders. No more than I think eleven seconds behind kind of the top guy and the worst guy. Yeah. Uh, another thirty-two kilometer time trial coming up, but for the most part, this is a climber's time trial. And I think it's a pretty wide open year. I've got my list, potential list of favorites I wrote down here. Okay. As uh, Simon Yates, Naira Quintana, Alejandro Valverde, Sam Bennett, Rigoberto Aran, Thibaut Pinot, Rafa Mica, Stephen Kreisbach, Michael Woods, Fabio Aru, Miguel Angel Lopez, Louis Menkes, David Formula, Michael Kiyokoski, and Wilco Kelderman. That is one hell of a list. That is. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, that's about as wide open as one can get, so... I mean, hopefully we get a show anyway. Yeah, as you would, as most uh, most Grand Tours go, the first nine days probably won't be a lot of separation. The big mountains don't come until, I believe, stage 10. Okay, so... Then we'll start to see uh, pretty big gaps at that point. But uh, like we saw today with the three, three potential contenders dropping off, I would say maybe four or five of those will also get dropped off in stages where you say... What are you doing losing time? We don't have a good explanation for it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we would imagine this will be as wide open as it is. We're going to see kind of those guys maybe show that they're all kind of maybe middle of the pack, upper echelon. And then from there, we'll start to see them start to kind of cut away, cut away, cut away. And then 10, we're going to start to see those big gaps start to show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And you got uh, so there are different levels of those contenders. Nairo Quintana is the betting favorite, and you got guys like Simon Yates and Steven Kreisvike who have never been able to close the door on a Grand Tour, but have been in the pink jersey at the Giro for quite a while. So, okay, so it should be pretty interesting, to say the least. And hopefully, some of those guys that have struggled kind of in the late game can start to uh, you know settle in and maybe make a little bit of noise here. Do you have a predicted? You have a prediction for the winner. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna say Vincenzo Nibali gets that back right and surprises Whoa. us all. That's that what I'm gonna go with. From a man who's I wanna, made... I'm you know I like the underdog, so I'm he's made with his him. career of succeeding when people can't don't expect him to succeed. Exactly. This might be the highest of the list. So that's what I want to see. I want to see him put another one on there. You know, old guy. I'm gonna stick. Uh, I'm going to stick with Simon Yates. I think uh, what we saw at the Giro is not a fluke, and I think he'll be able to hold on this time. Okay, okay. Awesome. Now we are sliding over to the next sport on the list, and that is the NFL preseason, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're still in the sport that nobody actually cares about, but people love to talk about football. Yes. Um, so news always gets made. Exactly. So um, we're going to start it off with, uh, and probably only really talk about kind of quarterbacks in this situation because there we have a lot of exciting young quarterbacks. Probably the biggest wealth of quarterbacks we've had in maybe ever. So we're going to start it yeah. off with uh, a third year guy coming into his third year. Um, Carson Wentz. Now, he has not played it down since he has torn his ACL, and he is not cleared for contact. I want to know... And this is not... 
unexpected. This isn't an Andrew Luck situation where we're yes. wondering when is he ever getting back. This is yeah. kind of on schedule based on the timing of the injury. Yeah, I want to know kind of what you think Philadelphia is thinking. Like, are they like, hey, you know, nothing to worry about. He'll be ready for game one. But not being clear for context suggests you're going to be maybe the Nick Foles show for a little bit longer than you would want it to be. Yeah, a couple things make me think that, like, just the news we're hearing from now makes me think he's probably not going to be ready till week three, week four. Yeah. But also the fact that Nick Foles is still an eagle makes me think that he's probably not going to be ready for week three, week four. Yeah, uh, that kind of is what I thought as well, because I'm like, I mean, Nick Foles, you got to love the guy. Like, he, you know, is kept quiet the whole time. He says he's happy with being the backup, which I don't know if that is the case. It's tough as a competitor to kind of hang back and be like, I love being number two. But um, I don't know. He works hard. He does a lot of the right things. He says a lot of the right stuff. But um, if they didn't try to make a move with him, because, I mean, he just won a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a valuable a valuable commodity. Yeah, so you, you would think that you no would want to maybe move him out so he could have some success as a number one, as well as you get to add some more weapons for your starter. But if your starter's now not going to be ready for week four, he's also is a hot commodity for yourself, so that seems why you hear no conversations of them making him move on. Yeah, and I don't think that's the worst thing. Like, the the trade deadline, I believe, is week six in the NFL. Yeah. And there are some quarterbacks who are bound to, bound to go down. Yeah. Uh, somebody's going to get injured, and that price might even go up. And you also get the benefit of having a experienced quarterback for you know, whether it's two games, whether it's four games, we don't know what it's going to be. But if I were the Eagles, I wouldn't be gambling with Carson Wentz's health at this stage in his career. I agree with you 100% there. Okay, so we're going to slide down to the Jets, who have a pretty cool situation at quarterback. Um, Sam Darnold, doing well, really well. He's looking good. I, I do have to point out that we're still just the preseason. Yes. And the Lions went 4-0 and then went 0-16. So that's how much the preseason matters. But he's looking good so far. <laughs> yes, I mean, he looked well. Uh, as well as he did look good against the New York Giants, which happened, I believe, today. Um, and so did uh, his counterpart, Teddy Bridgewater. And I don't see why that's any surprise still. Because he, I mean, besides like that crazy injury out of nowhere, he was a quarterback who was super successful. So, I mean, I wouldn't say, I'm not even, he didn't win anything big, but he was showing through to be a guy who was going to be a starter for a long time. So, I mean... Yeah, there's never been, he hasn't ever showed superstar ability, but there's always been that superstar potential just under the surface for Teddy Bridgewater. He's never been healthy enough for long enough. Yes, so I mean, I'm not surprised right now that Bridgewater is doing well. The moral surprise is that Darnold looks like he might be a little readier than we thought, but I still don't think you start a freshman quarterback unless it's the Andrew Lux 
people of the world. But um, so you clearly think that Bridgewater should start, but will he start? Um, I'm gonna Fans say fans in New York aren't patient people. I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes. He does get the start. Over and if uh, he's going to be as good as you think he does, he's not about to give it up either. No, not at all. And um, I mean, I think Darnold will end up being the better player of the two. I think Darnold uh, looks this good this early for a reason. And I don't think it's because we're seeing the top end of his ability. So I'm going to go with That's that. Quite an endorsement. Let's move on to another young quarterback playing really well. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Baltimore Ravens, had an excellent game in his third preseason game. Quite a bit of action. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you kind of expected him to be this player maybe a little earlier on. But he has the ability to run. We knew that. But he showed off his ability to throw the ball, make some reads, make a smart dump here and there, you know, while he's playing against the simpler defenses. So, I mean, he is, he shows that he, you know, is worthy of that pick, and he's probably a little bit happier about being able to throw something like that, you know, uh, a couple, a touchdown and uh, a whole bunch of uh, completions. It, it's really, yeah. really good for him and that confidence building and, there, there looks like they're going to have a little bit of a, a star there in the future. I'll admit I haven't actually watched um, Lamar Jackson play. I've watched one preseason play of Lamar Jackson so far. Yeah. But looking at the stats, when I try to look at stats lines, the two that always put, stand out as the most important for me when it comes to quarterbacks are how many interceptions do they throw yep. and what's their yards per attempt. And he is right at the top of these five rookie quarterbacks in both of those categories so far in that pre the preseason. Exactly. So I think he's doing pretty well. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think that's just a testament to kind of how uh, he, I mean, being a running quarterback uh, that he merited enough to get a first-round pick out of him. And the reason why is because he does have that ability to throw the pigskin and that's exciting to see that he is doing that now a little bit more confidently um sliding it up and that always adds a little bit of pressure yeah exactly okay sliding over to um kind of a scary thing but alan um he was in a game here not too long ago um josh allen got uh tossed into the turf there in the first quarter uh hit his head on the turf, uh, pulled him out of the game, put him into the locker room. Uh, he came back out cleared. He's all good. So, I mean, that's good to see that he, I mean, it wasn't anything that would keep him out of the game and it was, but that kind of big sigh of relief for the Bills fans there, you know. So you sound pretty positive about the end result of this. Is this then to you a display of Josh Allen's toughness, or is it a bit of an indictment of the NFL's concussion policy that a hit like that he can come back in, the, in a preseason game? Um, I I always find this. Or you just think it it looked worse than it was? I think. Is that what you're? I know. I think we're gonna get into something here that's a little more. Um, he is a tough kid, and it is kind of something that you are supposed to do 
uh, he the, the the I don't know what the protocol exactly is when it comes to concussions, and I don't think they've been the the most uh, ex- explain this well enough to me. But like, if you take a guy to the locker room and you ask him if he's you know feeling okay and blah 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 blah, and he tells you everything is okay, and do you like are you do you just go yeah cool boom like you, you like as a doctor do you get to decide that he's lying to you or do you like where does like that kind of like fall because when Russell Wilson goes into the tent and That's walks right out like tenths of a second like what does a doctor's responsibility at that point is he to be like well what I know is that he's fine because he did told me he's fine. Like you don't like you can't diagnose something if they don't tell you what it is. So that's where I kind of see these things, especially when it comes to, you know, a guy who got hit and you know, eyes rolled in the back of his head and was having like a seizure there uh for uh for uh, for the 49ers. I forget his name. Like you kind of have to like, you have to wonder, like, where does the responsibility fall? These are grown men, right? Like, And that is the kind of the ultimate difference when it comes to head injuries. Those rolling back in your eyes scenarios are much rarer than the ones that we can't see, that it's much harder to exactly. say your knee is bending in the wrong direction. Yes, exactly. So it, it is very, it's very tough to make that call. Like, if the NFL just saw that happen and was just like, no, like, that's that. Like, I understand 100%, and realistically, it should kind of be on the coach as well to make sure that, like, you don't, like... It's on the coach to create the proper culture. culture yeah, to make sure... people aren't either so terrified for their jobs that they're faking, they're faking the pre-concussion test results so that they can get a concussion and keep back in, or whatever it is. If the, the coach needs to set up uh, the proper culture that people feel confident... Yes. That they're going to be treated like human beings. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you don't want to see these things kind of continue to happen. So you want to make sure that the safety is kind of the first and foremost. But once again, these are adults now. These aren't kids. These are people who are being paid millions of dollars. Uh, And I think you have to kind of see like the concussion protocol as kind of like they don't get to choose really because the NFL has not really been the most forthcoming about concussions in the first place. No, so, they don't have a great reputation. Yeah, so like if they understood 100% what the concussions were and exactly what can come of it and that was that, then I would be like cool, whatever. Like whatever happens, whatever a player goes out, gets knocked silly and he's like, "No, I'm good." And they go, "Cool." You can, like, we'll, we'll put you back out there. The coach can make that call if he wants to put him out there. Um, but it, if they had 100% understanding of what the consequences were, if you get knocked silly right now, if you go back out, there's a large chance that you're going to be, you know, an old man in a chair drooling only. Like, yeah, the arguments for the players now and how they should be treated and what safety concerns are are different than, say, the 1980s. Yes. When we had no idea 
what the players, or at least no one said they knew what. Yeah, exactly. Knew, no one said exactly. Heads. So that's what I mean. Like, if they can understand exactly what the consequences are, then I will understand if they go. Our concussion protocol is to pull that athlete aside and say, you know, we saw something that we don't like. You don't get to play the rest of this game. Or it's, he said he's fine. He gets to go back out because we don't get to decide, you know, what that is. Right? Like, it is really kind of on the on the athlete. Alright, so let's move on from Josh Allen, who didn't have a great game, uh, to a couple other quarterbacks that didn't have great games. I want to get your opinions on Baker Mayfield, rookie quarterback, and Jimmy Garoppolo, basically a rookie quarterback. Um, I'm going to go with, start with uh, Mayfield and say, not surprised. Um, he is, uh, yes, he was the first overall pick, reach, 100% of reach. Uh, there were other quarterbacks that were more capable. Sam Darnold. Um, <laughs> uh, you're... I don't... I don't you are on the Darnold train. I'm, well, I'm on, I'm on Darnold being better than Mayfield and probably for his entire career. Also, I think that um, Josh Rosen as well is better. His accuracy, okay, once again, well, maybe another con- conversation. But uh, we'll go, I'm going to go with Mayfield being, uh, like, not being surprised there. I mean, he's young. He's still figuring it out. I think he'll be a quarterback that is successful in the league, yes. But I, I just don't see that superstar. I think in my head, it's almost like they got Terrell Pryor white. Like, it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's. I think of Mayfield kind of in the same vein that I think of Lamar Jackson, where both of these quarterbacks, I wasn't sure they would succeed, but I felt like if they could get to a proper program, a good program, yeah. they would be able to succeed. Just the fact that Mayfield went to the Browns, to me, gives absolutely no confidence that he'll turn into even a moderately good quarterback. I just think he's going to be thrown on the list of the uh, the Tim, Tim Couch and... Cade McNown and, and all these guys, the the long, long list. Brandon Whedon, Johnny Manziel. We can yeah, I know. I, I, I would agree with you one hundred percent there, but I I just I just feel like Mayfield it was overshot in the conversation of things. So I don't know. Um, but um, Grappolo not doing well, kind of a surprise. I mean, hey, it's a preseason, kind of get it out of you, but. Uh, Moving forward, I imagine he shakes this off and he's right back to superstar status. He is... Yeah, we've been looking, kind of watching the stats of some of these young quarterbacks. And his yards per attempt, as I mentioned earlier, I think that's a really important stat, has been kind of in the three or four yards every single game. That's that's not going to win you very many football games. No. I know he's basically undefeated as a starter, but... Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's going on for very long. No, not at all. I mean, you're going to have to start to make some... You know, larger throws, some more uh, media. Um, what's the one I'm looking for? Those middle level throws, those instead of just those short, short, short completions. Like, yeah. yes, that works at first, right. but when a team figures you out, and when there's 16 games, you're going to be figured out before the playoffs show up. So yeah, you can get a few screen passes here, and even a lesser quarterback can get them off. But 
Tom Brady, I think, is the best example of this. Is there a man on earth who play, throws a better, like, 30-yard football than Tom Brady has for the last 15 years? Exactly. Like, it, that's really why you make defenses sweat. If you can make that mid-level throw, it gets enough yards that it, it really does put a defense kind of in, like, Oh no! Like we have to watch the mid, so we have to allow the yeah, short. Yeah, it pushes stuff to the safeties up. back. It pushes the corners back. Yeah, it and just opens up everything else for your. Own yeah, it allows those underneath throws to happen. But if you're only throwing underneath, everybody starts moving up closer. It starts getting a little harder to run, forcing you to pass a little more, and then all of a sudden you're in a little bit of trouble when you're behind, and they know you're going to throw short and. Eventually, you can't throw short anymore, so you're only throwing deep. So then they're all, you know, it's just hopefully he figures it out and he starts getting those mid-level throws going for him and uh, gets his back on point. The one reason I have for believing in Garoppolo is the fact that it appears Bill Belichick believes in Garoppolo. Yes. And he knows a whole lot about football. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. If Bill Belichick's like, man, I wish we kept him around, then I'm going to say... Yeah, he's probably going to be successful. And I think what John Lynch is doing there, it's going to be that he's going to have, the obviously, the talent to go with it eventually. And he's going to keep working hard and working with him and making sure that he is the most successful he can be. They're not going to have that GM overstepping and being like, hey, you know, make him throw deep. Ah, you know, it's going to yeah, be a much solid like we don't know what to expect. We don't know what to expect out of Garoppolo, much the same way we really, really don't know what to expect from John Lynch. This is a brand new job for him. Yeah, I just he imagine... Didn't, he didn't come, this isn't years of assistant GM. He was just, boom, you're a GM. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I think he's such a level-headed person. I mean, he is so solid when it came to, you know, big plays and blah, 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 blah through his entire career. Like, he was always a lock-solid dude. I would just imagine that he knows enough to kind of be like, hey, this is your discretion. I'll make sure that everything on this end is taken care of. He seems like that type of guy. I would agree it's hard not to like John Lynch. Uh, Unless you have any other quarterbacks you wanted to talk about, perhaps we should move to a couple of the position player stories. Yes, 100%. Uh, Let's start it off with the Redskins. They managed to scoop up Adrian Peterson which is a wicked thing for them, and he showed that he still has some legs left in him in that preseason Is it game. possible that we can see some more Adrian Peterson, vintage Adrian Peterson? I don't think we're going to get vintage Adrian Peterson, but I think if he can, I want him to stay healthy so bad because he is so exciting to watch run. Like, Yeah, he has been one of the most fun players to watch for the past decade. It is that kind of situation where I don't really believe he's got it anymore, but I want to, because I want to sit down, watch Washington play and, and have that Adrian Peterson in front of my eyes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the more exciting running backs are in the league, the better. And the way he runs, it's so violent that I just don't believe he can stay healthy because he's older. But I just... Yes, that was when he was drafted. That's what I... Nobody... <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was just me telling you. Yeah. But I thought Adrian Peterson was going to be a bust because there was no way he'd be able to stay healthy. <laughs> he I mean, he did Man, stay healthy for so long, but it's it's he's so violent of a runner, and it's still even to this day, you know, and it, it I feel like it kind of detriments him a little bit more now that he's older and 
little more, you know, uh, susceptible to injury. So, I mean, hopefully... Yeah, he's clearly a freak of nature. Maybe he'll be able to hold off injury more because he is such a physical freak. Yeah, yeah. But, but I just... age comes for us all. Yeah, exactly. That age is such a big factor. So, hopefully he can stay healthy all year long. You know, he may slow down a bit faster than he would. So, I hope they give him those kind of carries off and let Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Thompson and... Yeah, they've uh, got a committee. You don't have to give Adrian Peterson the ball 300 times this year. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Alex Smith is a runner himself. Let him get some of those carries to, you know, open up the box a little more and force uh, force him to kind of play a we'll more balanced game. Gruden does. Yeah. Gruden does with all that. Uh, he doesn't have any superstar talent. but Yes, it seems like he has a lot of good talent. For an offensive coach. Yes, so yeah. hopefully he does take advantage of all of them and we get to see a really exciting Redskins dynamic offense. Okay, so okay. next story. The Jaguars, Marquise Lee had what looked to be pretty gruesome knee injury. I mean... Yeah, we don't have any... We haven't had any official injury report released or what kind of timetable we're looking at. But, uh, but if you watch the clip, it does not look good. Yeah, it does not look like he's going to return anytime soon. Uh, hopefully he is back sometime this year type of injury. Um, but hopefully he is. Maybe it was just a scare and we, it looks weirder from our angle, from every angle, I guess. And it was just weird, but... it. It looks These like athletes are such freaks. I mentioned before, they're freaks in nature. They are incredibly flexible. Yeah, that he is actually way there's better. There's limits to the human body. Yeah, and uh, hopefully he is okay from that, and uh, we get to see him again this year for sure. Uh, but to a man we might not see this year, to a man we are no longer going to get to see football. Eric Decker announced his retirement. Yes, which I thought was crazy because. Sweet. You have Tom Brady thrown to you. Like, what, you think it was like Bill Belichick's like, yeah, guess what, we're letting you go? And he's like, ah, you know, I'll just retire. Like That is the only thing that makes sense to me. He must must have decided that he just doesn't have it anymore, and he knew that the Patriots knew that, and that's why he retired, because otherwise, like you said, you got Tom Brady thrown to you. Right? That's not the time to retire. I mean, I watched them play uh, their first preseason game where I kind of thought to myself that, the yeesh, the Patriots look really bad, <laughs> which is, you know, a preseason game, so I kind of brushed it away, didn't really want to bring that up, because I think they're settling in and starting to do a lot better That's now. That's correct thinking. Right? So, um, you're, I'm just thinking they must have been like, hey, you know what, after that first preseason game, it's not getting much better, you're dropping a lot of balls. Even in practice, uh, you probably should hang it up. And I guess he did. Yeah, impressive career, Broncos, Jets. Yeah, I mean he very was very good player for a while. He's not a Hall of Famer no. or anything like that, but it's impressive quality career. Oh, hundred percent. If you can play eight years in the league, know that you were a good player for an extended period of time, and he was exactly that. He was pretty exciting when he first joined the league as well. So, I mean. Hopefully, uh, all the best to him in his future endeavors, and you know, enjoy playing some golf. 
If I'm not mistaken, he's been in some reality shows already, so I assume we'll see him in the broadcast booth or something. Yeah, you would have to some imagine. Some sort of media setup. Good looking kid, you imagine we'll see him on TV, so. Yeah. Okay, so sliding over to our next sport, which is the MLB. Yeah, so not a lot uh, of new news when it comes to the MLB. Playoff races still carrying on. Um, but there was uh, the the trade deadline in MLB is different than virtually every other sports trade deadline. 100%. The official trade deadline was July thirty first. Yes, but the MLB has the weird waiver trade deadline set up, and it led to a couple trades, couple rumors. Okay, okay. Let's start off with the Washington Nationals. Uh, they traded Daniel Murphy to the Cubs. And they traded Matt Adams to the Cardinals. Okay. This, to me, is just emblematic of the Washington Nationals' entire season. Yeah. Like, Matt Adams had such a great first two or three weeks of the season. Daniel Murphy was coming off. He, he wasn't the MVP, but he was a legitimate MVP candidate last year. Yeah, he really was. And this is a, Yeah, this is a team that just had so much hope for, what has it been, five, six years? Yeah, exactly. They've never capitalized on it. I never it, even thought about this, but it really is kind of heartbreaking, the Nationals kind of situation. Yeah, so. I just think those two trades back-to-back just kill the hope. <laughs> yeah. It has been an optimistic team. If you're a Nats fan, you've been optimistic. Every year, you felt better than the year before. Yeah. And next year... Next what, year, what next year, next year... And now do you think we're getting to the end of that kind of whole situation where it's there's not next year? Like this I have to imagine, unless something happens that we're not expecting. Like they have Juan Soto, the one of the youngest players in the league who looks really good, but they've lost so much talent around. And of course there's the Bryce Harper situation. If they don't have Bryce Harper next year, yeah. There's there's that's not a playoff team. Even with that rotation, which is one of the league's best, that's not a playoff team. Okay, okay. So yeah, let's slide that over to Bryce Harper. Still no yeah, deal. This is one of the wild wild stories. Um we it hasn't been confirmed, but apparently the Dodgers actually made a claim for Bryce Harper. Really? Yeah, so the way the way I'll give you a quick rundown how the waiver wire works. After the trade deadline, you can basically trade whoever you want. Yes. But uh, after July 31st, a team, you have to put a player on waivers first. Yeah. And the way, as you build your roster to the increased rosters of the playoffs in the MLB, pretty much everybody at some point pops onto the waiver wires. But in the MLB, it's revocable. So if somebody makes a claim, you can say, no, we're not giving you this guy. Yeah. So it's not that big of a deal. But the first step in any trade is uh, to get claimed. And apparently the Dodgers claimed Bryce Harper and tried to negotiate a deal with the Washington Nationals, but they were unwilling to make a trade. Yeah. So does that tell you that they are... Do they think they can sign him? Because every rumor I've heard seems to indicate that Bryce Harper is leaving the Nationals at the end of the season. Um, I don't know. I don't know why they... I maybe they think that they can still slide into the playoffs and 
have some crazy last year. I mean, like you said, when it came to um, Kawhi Leonard, it was, hey, you just need a little bit of time and you can, you know, one year's a long time and you can make him stay. Like... It is possible. I mean, we're down to just a few weeks left in the season, but I mean, it is a legitimate... If this is the last of your hopes and dreams, then... What I... What I think is happening here is a, a plague that infects pretty much every sport. Yeah. No GM wants to be the guy that trades the star player. Yes, that it's is It's much true. easier. Like, it's, it's better for the team to trade the star player, but it's better for the GM if he is the GM that lost the star player. Yes, that is very true. Like, look at John Tavares. If Garth Snow had traded John Tavares, he would forever be the GM that traded John Tavares to the New York Islanders. But because uh, John Tavares left in free agency, Garth Snow is just the GM that lost John Tavares, and now Lou Lamorello's in charge. It's not the same sort of personal failure Yes, it it is. is. And I think Mike Rizzo might be falling into that trap with Bites Harper, where the better thing for the team is to trade him, get a whole heap of prospects, and be great in three or four years. Yeah. But then Mike Rizzo would be... The GM that traded Bryce Harper. And that's a tough position to be in if you want your next job. You know what the tough thing about it is? Is that you make that move, right? Which seems like a real smart move, you know, because he's not going to be around next year. Then You're not making the playoffs next year. You can be hopeful all you want. It's not happening. Yeah, you know, like... But then you become a team that got rid of Harper. You know, traded him away for whatever. You got your prospects. And then this year... This next year, they don't do well at all. So then all of a sudden, you're the guy who got rid of Harper, and now we're trash. How dare you, sir? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not... It's a really bad way to keep your job. Yeah, it's... You don't get to go like, hey, I made this move. Look down the road, because now we're kind of set up for the future, because it wasn't happening. Now you kind of lose Harper by way of nothing. You become one of these middle-of-the-pack teams, and you sit as a middle-of-the-pack team, because your market isn't that big. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's what you have to worry about. And, I, you know, it, it kind of sucks to be Rizzo right in that situation. Okay. So let's move on to one of the more interesting players this year. Sergio Romo was rumored to be traded in this waiver de- trade deadline, but it appears he is staying put. Okay, okay. Um, where was uh, the rumors of him being moved out to? So he was rumored pretty much everywhere. Anybody who needed a pitcher, he's such a flexible pitcher. Very true. So there was rumors of Red Sox to the Dodgers. Uh, I think even the Yankees were in there. I mean, the Yankees always um, have the capital for players, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You might remember Romo. He was the in the newfangled way people are using pitchers. Sergio Romo was the pitcher that started a few games but only pitched one inning. Okay. Basically the closer in reverse. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know exactly what you're speaking of there. Um, so I find him one of the more interesting. He's a world... Like, this is the guy who closed out the World Series in 2012. Yeah, so... Through the last pitch, this is an impressive person. Yeah, I mean, he, he is a big statue player. Like, he has that kind of presence about him. And it is crazy to kind of think that there was a, a maybe a chance that he could have been kind of on his way out. So I'm pretty sure they're pretty happy that he's staying put. 
and hopefully that leads to some big success in the immediate future. Yeah, they're in that division from hell, but they, they're one of the small-budget teams, but they seem to be a good organization that can have a chance. They just got to take make sure that they're good while the Yankees and the Red Sox are maybe having a down year. Yes, exactly. It's kind of just waiting for their time, and hopefully it is they have the talent when it is that time. All right, let's briefly talk about uh, the Canadian angle here. The Lots of rumors about Josh Donaldson. Yes. They were put into overdrive this week as he's injured. He's working out in Florida with Blue Jays trainers in their facility down there. Yeah. And uh, some reporters went into the Blue Jays locker room and apparently Josh Donaldson's locker was completely empty. <laughs> yeah, that'll definitely uh, start up a little bit of a fire. Yeah, they say it's nothing, but uh, I mean, this is a similar situation to Bryce Harper, where you don't have, you almost feel like what's best for the team would be to trade former MVP. Yeah, um, you would think so, but I imagine this one to I mean, this one is a little different than Bryce Harper, because Donaldson is banged up. He is older. It. You know, it, he is a big part of it right now, but if you push him out, like, you there are, you have that guy who's sitting in the, in the minors right now that everyone loves who can step up and do so a spot. Uh, you can find, maybe you can make a move with a free capital to scoop up maybe a player closer to if you want to be immediately successful. But I mean, he's aging, and he hasn't been in the whole, the whole uh, run this year, basically. So, what what would hurt if yeah, he's been injured up? since May 29th? So, yeah, it's just it's been a kind of a nightmare season for the Blue Jays across the board. 100. percent So I mean, moving him out of there, in my head, is not the worst thing in the world. Yes, it sucks. I love Donaldson, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't hurt like. You know what I mean? Like, if the well, way we lost Batista, like, he was older. He was not as helpful. Like, I feel like... It's always better to lose the guy, to trade the guy, a year too soon rather than a year too late. Yes, I agree with you 100%. So, I'd say bounce him out of there. Let him be happier and hopefully pull in something that'll help us down the future, right? I think that's a good, smart idea. Okay, so... Uh, Unlikely to happen, but smart. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sliding over to the WNBA, we have some... Big, big week in the WNBA this week. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the MVP who was named, and also we're going to talk about the playoffs which we need to kind of talk about a little bit of context so we understand how the playoffs work, just in case you've never seen or uh, watched any of the NBA, um, WNBA finals. Yeah, so I'll take uh, that first uh, story you mentioned. Brianna Stewart becomes the 2018 MVP. And... Almost unanimous choice, 33 of 39 first place votes. Yes, uh, after a season that was absolutely spectacular, I think there's no real surprise there. I think the more the surprise is who are those three voters who didn't vote for her. 
<laughs> yeah, the Seattle Storm uh, were clearly the best team in the league. Very impressive, and she was the best team in the best. Best player on the best team is a good way to win the NBA. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's best. It's better to be the best on the best. <laughs> so, um, one of the crazy stats I looked looking into this is the WNBA in the last ten years has had ten different MVPs, which is I feel like would be more the case in the NBA if they paid attention to the NBA the same way the WNBA. Like, the WNBA <laughs> is a very exciting league, obviously different than the, the men's, but... Yeah, it's a different sport, basically. Yes, basically. And these women are doing all these exciting things, and it's, you know, voted on by a board that has no real... There's no monetary gain to the league if Brianna wins it, who's the best, or, you know name another player, right? Like, it's it's who is the best is going to win. And if you were to do that in the NBA, it would have been for the last seven to ten years, it would be LeBron James. And that's... Yeah, just over and over again. And that is, they would be like, oh, well, that doesn't look good. But he is the best player, so... You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, Brianna yeah, Stewart... Not quite more... Pri more... Um... Uh, parody, but it feels almost like it's more parody. Exactly, and it's it's. Like when I think of the best player in the WNBA, I think Elena Deladon. But it's been four years now since she's won the MVP. Right, and it, it's that's the way it is. It it she had the best year that year. Now someone else did have a better year. Yes, she was exciting and amazing during that next year, but someone else was better, so she won. You know what I mean? Like. That's the way it should be. It shouldn't be, well, I think James Harden should win because he scored a lot. It's like, well, James Harden's nowhere near on the court enough, nowhere near as productive defensively, nowhere, you know what I mean? Like, you can name about seven categories where LeBron James is better. And you can do that with every single player. So why doesn't he win? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, big move to Brianna Stewart, and I applaud the WNBA for choosing 10 different people in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it blew my mind when I heard that stat. So let's move on to the games in progress. So a couple couple series started uh, today uh, with Washington winning first, first game of a best-of-five series over Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And uh, Seattle with the aforementioned Brianna Stewart beating a Phoenix team. Both were close, fairly high-scoring games. Yeah, so, I mean, this is now where we're starting to see these teams really kind of show off and show that they are capable as any other team, you know? It's not just the... It's the best of the best now. So the best beating, the very best beating the second best or the fourth best or the fifth best is going to be really close, and as it was, right? Yeah, like, you look at the Seattle-Phoenix series, especially. Like, that's one versus five. But the level of talent on those teams, you got Diana Taurasi, Brianna Stewart, Dewana Bonner, going up against Sue Bird, Brittany Griner, Natasha Howard. I mean, there are some big names and a lot of talent. Exactly. So, it is super exciting to see. And if you do not get a chance to check this out, I feel like you're missing out because this is really exciting basketball right now. 
And you guys want to keep yeah, the other the other series, the Mystics versus the Dream. I think that's more of a t- especially the Atlanta Dream. They don't have a lot of a lot of superstars in their team. They're the defensive best defensive team in the league. Excellent team. They drive pace better than any other team, and it's going to be them against uh, Elena Della Don, who I mentioned previously. I think is probably the best player in the league, even if she didn't have the best season this yeah. year. Yeah. So I mean, hopefully. That one there, I love really good defensive teams. Like, it's always super They're cool. insanely hot, too. They ended the season on a 15-2 and two run. Yeah. So. <laughs> so hopefully they can carry that into a really exciting series there. I mean, once again, if you get a chance, check it out. It's, it's going to be a good one. And once again, if number five is play number one this close, no, it's going to be exciting all the way across the board. Absolutely. Okay, so this uh, this is the last thing we were talking about. So we're going to have also an interview. Uh, we're going to put probably as attached to this one. It will depend on just how long this is. Exactly. So <laughs> we'll go, we'll say if it isn't, it'll be around the exact same time this one is released. So make sure you check that out. Uh, we have Brad Damon on here, uh, the um, exciting strength coach out here in the Edmonton side of things, uh, working with pros and whatnot. He has a little. Bit, we have a little bit of a conversation about the NCAA, uh, a little bit about kind of uh, strength conditioning as like a whole, and a little bit about um, there was a conversation that I believe it was North Carolina that their coach said that CTE was fake, so we have a little bit of conversation about that. So if you get a chance, check, make sure you listen to that one as well. It's pretty exciting. And hopefully we might be having a recurring segment with Brad on as well. So hopefully you guys, we get that thing worked out real quick and you guys can hear from him a little more often. Excellent. All right, so that will wrap up the podcast. Thanks for listening. And, uh, we say it every week. We do this because we love it and we love sports, love to talk about sports. Exactly. We absolutely love doing this. So make sure you check out all of our social media, which we'll tag into the, the tagline. We'll also be tagging in Brad's social media. He's really active on Instagram. So make sure you check out that Instagram. It is wicked if you're looking for you know some motivation or some tips when it comes to training yourself. So there we go, guys. You guys have a great one. Okay, um, we are doing an interview for the first time here, my first interview, which is pretty cool. Uh, we have Brad here. He is the owner of Elite Athlete Training Systems, uh, which is a very uh, popular gym out here in uh, Spruce Grove, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, it's kind of a big deal. Professional athletes are there, basketball, um, football, hockey baseball. hockey, baseball, so of all athletes, but this is outside of the sport. This is for this is strength specific. So they get rid of all that sport specific stuff. So this is very important because we have an issue that's happened that we were talking about last time, where there was a death at Maryland and uh, Terrapins football program in a university there. Uh, in and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of what happened. 
So I just, before we get into that, I just wanted you to explain a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do. Yeah, for sure. So like Kevin said, my name's Brad Damon. I own Elite Athlete Training Systems in Spruce Grove. I uh, played football growing up and through high school for a total of about 10 years. Uh, after football, I started in powerlifting. I competed in powerlifting for seven years. Uh, managed to squat 904 in contest bench 633 and deadlift 601. Uh, so I spent my entire life growing up in gyms and it was sort of the natural uh, progression to start training athletes to become a strength coach. Uh, so for the past seven years or so, I've been working with athletes. I've had my own facility coming up on four years now. We're in our third year uh, presently. Um, but yeah, like Kevin said, I spent the majority of my career working with uh, youth athletes and now kind of making that transition to higher level athletes and, and pro athletes, and that's sort of where my passion is. Um, and yeah, we're, just, we're going strong for, uh, for seven years now, and we, we keep moving forward. Okay, that's wicked. Awesome. So uh, we're going to get in a little bit about kind of what happens, so we'll kind of uh, give you a little bit of information here, kind of uh, get a little bit about how you would handle situations like this. So yeah. maybe even before I get into what happened there, uh, you've dealt with programs. You've been uh, the strength coach for a football team that I've coached uh, and also uh, other teams have coached that yeah. I've not been involved in. Yeah. So um, I just kind of wanted to get a grounds on if you were to have a situation that um, maybe a, a player were to uh, have, you know, in this case, it will say, we'll say a seizure. Mm-hmm. How would that be handled by you, and uh, how much influence would maybe a coach have on deciding how you would handle that issue? Yeah, so and it, it's it's going to vary, right? So we're talking a Div One program, yes, is what they are, right? Yeah, so, so have a little more for me, I had worked with primarily high school programs. So at that level, I'm the strength coach. I'm also the AT, um, and you know, I'm every part of the quote unquote medical and performance department. Uh, whereas at a level that are at a Div One school, I should say, you have team doctors and ATs and strength coaches and physios. You have all these different uh, disciplines. I adapt as all those at high school level. Uh, so, if it were to get to this point where a kid is having a seizure at a high school practice, which I would have never let it get to that point, but say it did, uh, we call the ambulance immediately, and the head coach or, or any coach, parent, nobody has any say in that. The ambulance gets called. That's not a debatable thing. Um, at a Div One program. It, it blows me away that there weren't more medical people present to deal with this situation. I think the ambulance should have been called a lot faster. Obviously, we haven't gotten to specifics about this yet. Yes. Um, but it should have been called a lot faster. And, and there just there needs to be more accountability among the staff. Yes, 100%. Um, the one thing is, uh, so we'll say as of right now, uh, the university has taken responsibility for the death of uh, this young man, uh, McNair, uh, the, the lineman. And... Uh, so we're going to get into kind of what happened the day of. So May 29th, um, they, they were doing a conditioning test. The conditioning test was doing uh, 10 110-yard sprints. Now, uh, after they finished, uh, he, was, he was forced to walk uh, through uh, to the treatment room because he was having difficulty at this point. Uh, he had signs of heat stroke, and then he went to a point where he was having trouble breathing. Uh, then he had a seizure. Uh, some of the things that were brought up were that they didn't do uh, cold immersion, because they, they have cold tubs there to facility yeah. that level. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so kind of at this point, before I get into kind of more of what happened, 
where uh, where do you kind of stand on kind of where this is and how it seems handled, especially with that level of like if we had the ability to have a cold tub or even something like that at uh, the level of high school would be kind of crazy. So yeah, um, it's so that's something that kind of stretches outside of my scope as a uh, as a strength coach and outside of my pay grade. Um, would putting someone who's going through street heat stroke in an ice tub have a positive or negative effect? I'm not 100% sure. Um, but as we said before, like there's definitely doctors and ATs and, yes. and medical professionals that should be around that would know that. And had it have been the right thing to do, then certainly they should have done it again. I'm not 100% sure whether that's the right or wrong way to treat it. I think the best way to treat it would have never been to get into this situation. I mean, we talk about the driller doing 100 or they're doing 10, 110 110. yard sprints. Yes. For no reason other than just to see who can push to that point. Because yes. you never run 110 yards in a play in football. You certainly don't do it 10 times in a row. Yeah. Um, it's it's just this sort of um, this epidemic we're seeing of, you know, coaches want to look tough on Instagram and they want their team to look tough on Instagram and social media. And so they do these ridiculous conditioning drills that obviously have no carryover to football and now at this point are, are impacting families and impacting lives and then taking lives away you know so yeah so i mean so the so they also it took them about 40 minutes to call uh an amb an ambulance uh which seems kind of crazy but i mean it's ridiculous you don't have to be a medical professional to know that you should have called that ambulance right yes away. uh and then he arrived at the hospital with a temperature of 106 yeah. so uh seems kind of crazy to me but um uh, June thirteenth, uh, he he uh, unfortunately passed away, to uh, obviously the the cause being of heat stroke. Um, I don't know. I just feel like in this situation, um, I don't know how it, one would handle uh, kind of being in that situation, other than like. Do you, you make the call, it's call an ambulance, um, and make sure that the kid's safety is put before kind of everything else, right? So it shouldn't have been, you know, get him to the room uh, where we all work harder than this uh, kind of thing where you would, and uh, we will get into the culture of this situation more, where which gleams a little bit of light of the situation, yeah. but there's kind of this idea of like, well, well, you weren't like, of why are you so tired? Why are you this? Why are you that? And not, hey, are you okay? Like, why? It yeah. seems like why was that question never, kind of like, hey, like, what's up? Like, let's get you, you know, let's get you inside. Let's get you to the treatment thing and get him there by way of means probably of someone helping him and not forcing him to walk. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's as a strength coach, it's really important to know your athletes and to know the signs that your athletes are giving you because a lot of I'd say the vast majority of communication I have with my athletes occurs without any words spoken. It yeah. occurs from me watching how they're moving, how they're standing, you know, how they're how they're breathing right now. Um, and I mean, obviously, it wouldn't take a medical professional to see that this guy, this kid, is having a medical emergency. Um, so yeah, why he wasn't asked um, how he was doing instead of being told that oh, you know, guys worked harder than you and you shouldn't be feeling like that, I think it, it just speaks to a gross negligence within the program, a gross negligence within the coach that programmed that particular day, yeah. and the entire staff that sat around and, and did basically nothing while this kid 
was you know on, yes. his, on his way to his deathbed. A hundred percent. So, um, the Rob Walters, the sports medicine consultant, was then hired on June nineteenth to investigate. Um, the August third. So we're now talking, uh, you know, almost a month after uh, the coach, the head coach was still uh, employing a bullying culture. So we're going to get a little bit into this culture. So what was talked about um, in the, there was talking about a culture that they had in place that would force players to, um, hold on here, I want to make sure I use it kind of word for word. Uh, they said they were forcing players who were who were too light to eat, even though they were it was you know full or whatever. Yeah. They're like they wanted them to be a certain weight, so they forced them to eat. If they were overweight, they were actually starving them, mm-hmm. so they weren't feeding them at all at their you know things. So they have you know some snacks at those places. So like. I mean, more snacks than I had when I was in university. We'd have, you know, bananas and apples. Yeah. One would imagine they would have a little more than bananas and apples in the Div 1 program. Yeah. So they would they would be starving their players. Uh, they would have players, they would have coaches harassing the players yeah. that were, uh, you know, that were overweight or, uh, you know, underweight, kind of forcing these players to make sure that they would meet this requirement and I I wonder kind of how you see that as a coach because as a you know as a pedestrian as a coach that would deal with players uh, trying to do something sports specific and not trying to do something you know strength or you know health related Mm -hmm. like from my side I say like you would never harass a, a player to you know, lose weight. Maybe you give them, you know, a joking hard time, like, "Hey, man, you get a little heavy, so keep on that diet." Yeah. But I feel like that's kind of where a coach's real responsibility. Yeah. And there's there's two things we want to understand here. First and foremost, if you're like if you're a non-athlete listening to this or not a football athlete listening to this, and you're hearing us talk about it, and there's no there's no shock or surprise in in our voices, we or my voice, as Kevin tells me that this is going on, um, because Kevin played. CIS now you sport football because I train high level athletes like I'm aware we're aware of the dirty laundry behind the scenes and unfortunately none of this is a surprise none of this is new um, the only time it comes to light is when something tragic happens so that's that's the first thing we need to understand is that this is obviously a program a problem within this program but this is a problem with football this is a problem with sports worldwide this is a problem with how we're raising young men worldwide um, so that, that's the first part. We get the bullying, and it's a product of the coaching staff. It's a product of the university. It's a product of society in general. Um, then the other thing we want to consider, too, is... Uh, I totally forgot where I was going with it. Yeah. So, uh, you almost probably towards... Oh, the other thing we want to consider, um, especially in, in the States and in Div 1 football, a lot of these kids are coming from you know poverty-stricken areas, right? And they may not have both parents in the home. So we have... These kids, and I, I keep saying kids because, yes, we're talking university, but there's 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, like children. And even you're allowed to, to skip out on your the last half of your grade 12 year to go train with your college team, right? So yes. you have 17-year-old kids out on the field. And that's something we need to be aware of is that these are children, and when they come to you, they come across the country or they come from out of state to play for your school, and they, they're looking for and find a parenting-type role model in that coach. 
yes. whether or not that coach is, is qualified to do that, whether or not he cares or she cares enough to do that, um, they look to you for that role. So you wonder how a kid could run himself literally to death for somebody. It's because they put that much trust in you, and that's something coaches need to do a much better job of understanding is these kids – for the most, for a lot of these kids, they're coming from nothing. They may only have one parent or no parents in their household, uh, and they're they're going to trust you. They'll run through a wall for you. That's one thing that you know all my athletes at my gym would would run through a wall for me. It's my responsibility to protect them from themselves. Yes, a hundred percent. And that's that's really good because we're going to slide into this a little farther. Um, so they have uh, the head trainer and athletic director on August tenth. Were then placed on leave. Um, they then put co- their head coach Durkin on leave the next day. Uh, August 14th is when they did the press conference of accepting, uh, you know, responsibility, responsibility for the death and, um, then had some words for the parents. Um, and, um, I understand why it may seem weird that it comes late like that because they kind of have to put their ducks in a row, which is really kind of weird when you think about it uh, because, you know, you kind of want to make sure that the parents were okay kind of first and foremost beside before you uh, kind of want to make sure that you're making the right, saying the right things, yeah. doing the right things. Of, that kind of went out the window when we made sports a business. Yes, you know, exactly. Now it's more about make sure the school looks good. Exactly. So they did their business people. side of things before they took that responsibility. And then the investigation uh, board got a lot bigger. Uh, they have um, a retired judge in the group, uh, Ben Lag, two actually retired, judge, um, retired judges, Alex Williams, a former federal prosecutor, Charlie Shear. They added another five people. So former Redskins quarterback Doug Williams, um, he won a Super Bowl. Former Maryland Governor, Governor Robert Eller. Elric, I'm terrible with the name, sorry. ESPN broadcaster alum Bonnie Bernstein, former congressman and alum Tom McMillan, and chief of staff at Campbell Clinic's orthopedics professions and director of sports medicine at the U of Tennessee, Dr. Frederick Azar. So now they, they created a good board to make sure that this is dealt with at the highest levels. And I'm 100% sure the university is going to do everything in their power to make sure that this is followed through all the way to um, from the top down to make sure that everything is cooperated with and we get the full extent. Um, but they're talking about the kind of, uh, the culture kind of stays there. Yeah. It's still in place. Yeah. Now, the so the issue is, is that, a culture is something that's created by your leadership. Mm-hmm. So it, since he's still technically employed because, you know, due process and whatnot, um, you, you still have these kind of issues happening. Um, how would someone then step into this role? Let's say they, they, you know, they hire a new coach or whatnot. How would you handle, I guess, trying to get rid of a culture that has caused now i, I guess a fatality yeah you know what i, I mean? think the, the first thing you need to do is take everybody from the athletic director down is all fired they all need to be fired they never allowed to work in this field again um 
and I think you have, you clean house and you have to bring an entirely new staff as far as changing the culture that for me it, it's bigger than just the the school which which school is this this is uh, Maryland, Maryland. Yeah, and so this isn't a Maryland problem this is just happening happening at Maryland this is a football problem like we talked about earlier this is a society-wide problem so how do you how do you correct that I don't I can't say for sure the football team I know that we have corrected that within the walls of our gym yeah how I did it I'm not sure because it's been such a gradual thing over seven years I can just tell you that when I when I tell my kids or my athletes that I care about them it's a genuine thing I really mean it it's yes. not you know I may say the exact same thing as the Maryland strength coach did but obviously he didn't mean it because yes. he killed one of his kids yes you know that's then that's the only way that's a harsh thing to say but you did yeah you know um, so it, it's it's so hard because there's so many, you know, wolves hiding in sheep's clothing in this industry. Very true. Um, but the only way you change a culture is to truly have somebody in charge that cares about the well-being. And you can still care about winning because anybody that's been in my gym knows that it is the most competitive atmosphere you're ever going to find. Um, but it's not at the expense of anyone's safety. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's a great point because... We have, uh, earlier, they had the big kind of conference where they have all these uh, organizations kind of show up. And the SEC came out there, you know, uh, you know, beating their chest, they're big dogs. The ACC came out and, you know, uh, is kind of the new up-and-comer and doing quite well. And they had a coach at North Carolina, I believe it is the Tar Heels. They had their head coach talk about saying CTE is fake, head injuries are, you know, uh, blown out of proportion, and all this is a thing. So now, I mean, that was the first time that in my head I thought this person should not have a job, period. But, you know, he's still the coach that didn't, there's no punishment that comes along with that and it's even worse than a child he has a platform yes he has a platform he has a platform he has he has also children that he immediately is dealing with yeah how like so when you say that this is an issue that is bigger than football because it is bigger than football it is bigger than it is a problem with sports period there's this weird machismo that says, hey, you know, I don't like this. Like, we're men. We can make our own decision. Men, men, men. Yeah. You know, so, like, we're talking about the, the health and safety. And scientists and science has said that you have to take head injuries extremely serious. Yeah. And that's something that I know you do. And it's something I drew the best to my ability, understanding what I understand, yeah. to make sure that these kids are safe. I'm told, you know, if he gets a head injury, you can't be back on the field uh, until you have symptoms free. And we extended it to, I believe it was, it works out to being at least seven days before you would even see the field. And that is after, like, the least, the the, the last symptom. Yeah, through right? protocol, yeah. So yes. when I was with the high school team, our protocol was that if you showed any signs of any type of head trauma, whether it was saying you had a headache or, or your eyes weren't tracking properly or if you just weren't yourself, and again, that comes back to knowing your athletes. Yes. Um, I had the right to take your helmet from you and put you on this concussion protocol. And any, any coach did, um, but it was my responsibility first and foremost. And it wasn't a debate with any other coach. I don't care if you're the starting quarterback and we're in the championship game. 100%. Your brain is going to come first. And so what would happen is you'd get placed on that uh, – 
that concussion protocol, we would take your helmet and give it to the equipment manager to be inspected, make sure it's not faulty. Um, when you're cleared, he or she would give you your helmet back. Um, but what you would do is you would be, uh, you'd have to be symptom free for four days in a row. And yep. that's consecutive. So say you're symptom free three days and get a headache. Now we got to restart that counter when you're symptom free again. Yeah. Um, at some point you have to be cleared by a doctor. You could still have symptoms when you get cleared because doctors really don't care. You can't really sue them. Um, and that's, that's another reason why this concussion protocol was so over the top to make up for the lack of caring from the, the general practitioners, at least here in Canada, that we deal with. Yeah. Um, so you had to be four days symptom-free. After you were four days symptom-free, uh, then we would take you through a concussion or through a conditioning test that would ramp up in intensity. So it would start off really light. And as long as you're, you know, we're constantly checking in with you, you're handling that. We're ramping up intensities. We're adding in jumping. We're adding in different things to elicit symptoms without contact. Yeah. Uh, you survive that con um, conditioning test. Then the next day, uh, you're a no contact practice for full practice. Yeah. Uh, and then you survive all that. You're symptom free. Then now, assuming you have that doctor's note and you're cleared by a medical professional, now you can return to play. And yeah, my general thing is that it would take a minimum of seven days to get through all that red tape to get back on the field. Exactly. So, I mean, so we took, we take concussions 100% serious. So to see someone at that level, someone who, you know, is someone that, you know, I would consider to look up to, you know, a Div 1 coach is yeah. in my head someone who is, you know, above and beyond anything that I've ever done and I've, you know, so it to me kind of shook me to the core that that was even a thought process held by a person a, of authority a person of authority especially of that level of authority yeah and who did this coach play i would assume he played i was somewhere. yes i believe he played as so well so he's definitely you know had its bell rung and knows what that feels like and is still denying yeah no that's that's insanity and you the only thing we can do is hold them accountable name their names point them out um if you, if you stand up in front of a crowd with a microphone and incite a riot or incite violence or incite people to hurt themselves, yeah. there are consequences. Yes. For some reason, you can do it with a concussion and tell people, CT is not real, go bang your head against the wall, and nothing happens. I think that's, that's a big problem. Um, the only way that we create this culture is having responsible coaches that are willing to call out and blow the whistle on these, these irresponsible coaches. Um, the downside... For that, as a strength coach, and this is the reason I, I choose to stay on the private side and not get involved with teams, yes. uh, is that you'll quickly become blackballed and you'll never get a job again. Yes, and that's, that's just that's, that's the very true. of the system, right? You, you do take the risk of, in turn, kind of being the Colin Kaepernick, being that yeah. whistleblower. Yeah, especially the NCAA. You know what I mean? And especially, especially the NCAA where you don't have a union to make sure that you are kind of safe, like a player's, yeah. you know, union and stuff like that. So it it is very much kind of, you're you're kind of on your own. So yeah. you take that risk. You, you, he, he made that shot, he said it, and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you say the opposite? You know what I mean? If you say concussions are 100% real and if you bump your head once, it's, you know, game over so you shouldn't, Never play yeah. football. You got to think like that person would never have a job, and right? Yeah, they're. The, I mean, they they might get blackballed by their athletic director. Um, for me, as a person with some moral standards, I mean, it it comes down to the health and safety of kids. Like, here's here's what's going to happen in the next fifteen years. I'll, I'll tell you just from my point of view as a professional in this industry is that yeah. football in the next fifteen to twenty years is just going to be dead. There'll be no more football. It'll be flag football. 
but I don't think we're going to play contact football anymore. Uh, and, and I'm fine with that. Like, I, as I'm 27, I don't have any kids right now, but if I did have kids, would I let them play football as much as I love the sport? Probably not. Not contact. 100%. You know? That's fair. I'm, uh, all, I'm all for flag. And I've seen some of the flag stuff that I watched, like Michael Vick play. That's awesome to watch, man. That's like that's pure athleticism on display. It's a lot of fun. Exactly. It's extremely yeah. exciting, especially, I mean, if you have a player like Javid Best, speaking of concussions, yep. Javid Best was able to play the whole time and not have to worry about getting that concussion that could possibly be, you know, yeah. his last. Yeah. You know, so it it's something that is definitely a lot more sustainable and you know, everyone from, you know, Bucky Brooks to uh, who is a an analyst on the NFL Network and a, uh, you know, a scout and yeah. of whatnot for multiple programs and whatnot. He is, uh, he deal, he was like, this is very exciting and it, it may look like the future of football, which is fair. I mean, even if you were to take off their pads and you, if you ever to see, get a chance to see the no pad football, the difference between where your head lands when contact is made yeah. is completely different. Head placement is absolute. You don't want to bump your face. Yeah. You know, you're not going to bust your nose open to light someone up in the middle of the field. But when you have a helmet on, you do things that are a lot different. Yeah. And there are still consequences even if you're not the person who is snoring in the middle of the field. And that's what we're seeing more and more of now is as equipment becomes better and we have quote-unquote concussion-proof helmets. You know, we have these new helmets with this intricate padding that protects against concussions. Well, guess what? Now they're just going to hit harder. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just the football mentality. It, yep. it hurts less, oh. I can hit harder. No, 100%. You know, you know, it's like... something that's that's bred into them at a young age. Um, I think in the meantime, like I talked about, you know, 15, 20 years from now, I don't think we'll see contact football anymore. In the meantime, yeah. I think the answer is to be open and honest about the side effects of concussions. Yes. Because they have a right to know it's their body. Yep. Um, I think I think eliminate hitting from high school down. I think you can really? start hitting in college. Okay. Um, and, and be open and honest with these professional athletes about what's happening with their brain and it's their decision to make. You know, they're gonna you're if you're an NFL player, yes. you're paid pretty well. Yep. You know, if you're willing to trade your brain for ten million dollars a year as an adult, that's your decision to make. You, yep. It's not your decision to make if they're lying to you about the symptoms and, and the, the effects like they are right now. But if we can sit you down, give you a 10-page brochure that overview concussions, and here's what you're possibly looking at in 20 years, are you willing to sign this contract? You're a grown man with free will. You can do whatever you want. Yes. Um, I think that's how we, we need to deal with this right now, but that'll never happen. They'll always, they're going to yeah. keep trying to hide this concussion thing until it blows up in their face and... and it's all over, you know. Like, this is this is the thing that ends football. I think is the concussion. Problem. Yes, I mean, if it if it doesn't adapt, then you die, mm -hmm. and that's the reality of it. Is so if they do not keep trying to find a yeah. way to protect these, and I don't see an adaptation other than flag football. Right. And, I'm, and I'm around a lot of pro players that don't see adaptations beyond flag football. Beyond flag football, because like we said, you keep making the equipment better and lighter and more protective. They're just going to keep hitting harder and, and harder and harder, and you're going to have to deal with. You know, car accident level yeah. hits. It, it doesn't matter how well cushioned your head is when it runs into something. The fact is, your brain inside your skull is not cushioned yes. for that impact with your skull. Yeah. You know? So it's almost like you you need a helmet that's inside of your head yeah. as well as outside of your and head. And that's something that like um, 
hummingbirds or sorry woodpeckers have adapted naturally yeah they have a shock absorber in their head so they can bang against the tree and it doesn't affect them but humans don't we obviously we don't have this <laughs> right. this mechanism we weren't meant to run into each other at full speed exactly okay no um awesome uh i want to thank you for coming on and being our first ever Right. you know guest <laughs> right this i mean we said my, some <laughs> also my first ever podcast oh so there, there we go. go hey that's exciting <laughs> so you know it's uh, i want to thank you for coming on uh once again uh this is brad damon elite athlete training systems uh, a really cool thing check him out on uh instagram at at eats.sg um and at facebook just elite athlete training systems uh, I got a YouTube. We're not using it too much right now, but we will in the future. It's just Elite Athlete Training Systems. Um, yeah, but mostly active on Instagram, so check us out on there. Perfect. Awesome. I want to thank you for coming on again. And yeah, thanks for having me. You know, perfect. <laughs>